good to be with you this morning. Our numbers are still down. I think we may grow in size in the coming minutes when people realize, oh yeah, right, uh, I'm supposed to be somewhere. Uh, but of course, this time change, uh, every, every time the spring one gets me the hardest, right? Um, so I'm glad to see the morning birds. The morning, no, what am I saying, trying to say? Early birds, yes. early birds, who gets the, who've gotten the worm and who gets here just at the beginning of the class. Um, so thank you for being with us. Before we, uh, before we start, just a few announcements. Uh, Pastor Dave will be back this week, right? He was away on vacation this week, so we're glad to have him safely home. Um, and uh, also, uh, Debbie is away this Sunday, so our prayers are with her. I believe she's traveling. I think she's with her daughter in Chicago. I'm not quite sure about that. Um, but I am glad to be here and joining you this morning, leading you this morning. So let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the gift of this day, the opportunity again to gather and to study your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon us this day and that you may reveal the truths in your word to us. And may all that we learn um, help us in this journey towards you. Help us to know how to see one another more clearly, how to live into this life of discipleship. We give this time over to you and this day to your service. We lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are going to be doing, uh, looking at chapter 10 today of Daniel, but before we get into that, uh, I want to talk about intercessory prayer. Just some uh, discussion from last week. So I was preaching and leading with communion, so I wasn't actually here the last little bit that Debbie talked about this. So we'll have to do a little uh, group think here, and maybe you can help me help you. Um, so this intercessory prayer from the packet. Everyone has the packet? No, I see some. I see some others do not. I believe they are in the cabinet. Did you see them in there? Yeah, not sure. Well, okay. So, intercessory prayer. What does intercessory prayer look like, or what does it mean? Just in general. This is not, this is no, you know, you don't have to actually have done it to answer the question. <laughs> praying, praying on behalf of someone else. And intercession also is related to intercede, right? So it's, that's often intercede on someone's behalf, right? So praying for someone or for something, right? Um, and yeah, great, great image. So. Um, uh, so Pam just gave us the image of standing between God and the person, right? Intercede, like literally interposing yourself and being between the two. Great. So D Debbie had last week suggested that we practice some intercessory prayer. And uh, I'm on the bottom of page 10 here if you're following along in the packet. So we can use the Lord's Prayer as a vehicle for intercession. Sometimes it's hard to know exactly what words to use to pray, right? But here is the prayer that Jesus taught us. And we can just pray it straight through, or we can break it up a little. And that's what I love about this, uh, this suggestion on how to use it, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Pause and just contemplate 
right? Spend some time thanking God, pondering who God is, and adoring God's majesty. So there's more here, but I want to ask, has anyone uh, either this week or in the past ever, ever um, approached the Lord's Prayer and taken it from this angle of using an intercessory prayer? A few hands. Does anyone want to share some thoughts on this? Is that a... Smile's not quite a hand, but... Oh, you've got one. Oh. I got it first. <laughs> what I appreciate about this is, is it brings balance to my prayers, rather than mm. it being very lopsided sometimes, um, you know, just focused on my needs. It, it draws me back to maybe who I should be in my prayers mm -hmm. versus who... who yeah, what God can do. Um, so that was just the thought I had. Great. So balance. Balance. Balance, yeah. And that's what's so great. I mean, we could do a whole sermon series, and, and many churches, and I'm sure we actually have here in the past, uh, do a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer because each little phrase, there's so much power in each phrase, and every phrase, uh, there's so much behind it, right? And I get stuck at the first word, right? Our. It's not just my father. It's our father, right? There's so much power there. And as we're standing between God and someone else, just that first word for me is enough. Our. It's, you're not other than. We are together a family because God is our father, right? Anyone else have a reflection on this? Working through the Lord's Prayer taking it bit by bit, praying around the prayer. I do quite the same, but I've always tried to visualize as I go through it. Oh, um, you know, each segment or part of the prayer, obviously not on Sunday mornings because we're going on through it, but in my, on my own, mm -hmm. and try to visualize what it's saying, um, the forgiveness that it talks about, the you know, so it's not quite the same as intercessory, but it's still taking. But it's taking the the what you, we already know well and adding something to it, right? Like Seeing it in a new way. To apply it myself. Yeah, trying to apply it. Yeah, great, great. Okay, so. As we open this morning, uh, I just want us to slowly, slow, more slowly than we normally do, I want us to first pray through the Lord's Prayer and just take, let's just take a five-second pause in between each of these lines here. Do we all have the packet? I don't want to do this if, we, if we're not all looking at it together. So then let us, looks like we all do. So uh, I'm going to just invite us to, once again, We'll read a line, and then we'll just pause. And then I'll take a breath, and I'll motion, and we'll go into the next line. Let's just try this. So let us together pray the prayer that our Lord Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your 
be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And list not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let us now uh, open our, our Bibles up to Daniel chapter 10. So we find Daniel speechless on the riverbank. So... I'm not going, I'm going to focus some on 10, and I'll talk a, a little bit more broadly about uh, the book of Daniel today, because uh, 10, 11, and 12 are all kind of one unit, and I don't want to, not exactly knowing where Debbie's going in the next two weeks, I don't want to step on her toes. So we're going to talk exclusively about 10, realizing that chapter 10 is really kind of, kind of an introduction to chapters 11 and 12. Um, there's certainly some things to be gleaned and to, to, uh, to study in 10, but it will, it will make more sense in the coming weeks um, why Daniel is speechless. Why is this angel here? What exactly is going on? Uh, just looking briefly at this outline, this is what um, that, that Debbie gives us. This is, it outlines this very thing. You have the introduction to the vision, all of chapter 10, then vision, chapters 11 and 12, and then the end of chapter 12 are God's instructions to Daniel. Focusing specifically on chapter 10, the first nine verses, you have this heavenly vision, and then you have a conversation. So I want to, um, I want to read some portions of uh, these first few chapters, of this chapter and these first few verses. Uh, would someone be willing to read verses uh, 1 through 6? Actually, just 1 through 5. Yeah. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true. And it was a great conflict, and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for all three weeks. In the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with gold, 
of Uphaz. Has his body was I, like yeah. burl. Two, six? I say keep, yeah, go keep going through six. That's fine. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the sound of his words, oh, excuse me, like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the noise of a multitude. So pause there. Okay. So first we get our memory verse, right? And what our, our spiritual practice that we'll talk about a little later is mourning. There in chapter 2, it's, uh, or in verse 2, excuse me, it says, At that time I, Daniel, had been mourning for three weeks. Remember why, what's going on here? Why is this uh, mourning taking place? So back in chapter 9, right? Daniel's praying for the people, and uh, he's turning to the Lord, and he's saying, uh, in, in verse, I'll read this from 916, uh, Daniel's saying, O Lord, in view of all your righteous acts, let your anger and wrath, we pray, turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors. Jerusalem and your people have become a disgrace among all our neighbors. Uh, jumping down to uh, verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act and do not delay for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people bear your name. Right? So there's trouble in Jerusalem. Daniel is praying for the city, but the answer has not come. God has not, God has delayed, right, from Daniel's perspective. Uh and God is not yet acting. And so Daniel's, Daniel's trying to figure out, what do I do here? What is my responsibility here? And so he's been mourning for three weeks. And then something happens. What happens here as he's standing on the bank of the Tigris River? Did I hear something over here? He sees a vision of? Some kind of a man, right? Uh, but not just any man. This is kind of going back to our conversation of a few weeks ago, apocalyptic literature. There's all these symbols that we may not be able to understand. Um, there's This one says, uh, well, you know what? I think you should talk about this at tables. What does, uh, what does Daniel see? What does this man look like? And what does this remind you of? So just take two minutes at your tables to read through uh, verse, read through again verses uh, four through six. What is this, what is this um, man described as? And what does this remind you of? Or does it remind you of anything? Two minutes, go. Well, what did we find? What, what kind of a man is this? If you had to draw this man, could you do it? Is this something straight out of a movie, a sci-fi? Is this a human? Is this an angelic figure? What do we think? And I lost my mic. Let's get a mic. Oh. Say that again. It, it made me think, and I could be completely wrong, but when Mary was spoken to, something like that, okay. I don't know. <laughs> what? What? Is there something specific that 
that draws that parallel for it you? It just seemed angelic or something to okay. describe. Great. Heavenly creature. Anyone else? Oh, yep. Oop, not on. Of the <coughs> the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story that mm -hmm. happens earlier, yep. and the figure that they see come out of the furnace, mm -hmm. and so as they talk about like the beaming light and how his face looked like lightning, like you kind of see some parallels between the two. Sorry. Okay. So, <laughs> um, and so I think I don't know. I think whatever figure Daniel sees later on is the same figure that was there with mm. the three men in the furnace. Hmm. Okay. Great. What's this, can we draw out the specifics of what this what this being looks like? Somebody want to do that for me? Scary. Draw. So, what are the specifics that the verses have? Body like barrel, which I'm not quite sure what that is. I'll be honest. Some kind of a mineral, right? Okay. Say again. Clothed in linen, lightning and fiery torches, burnished bronze. There's more to it. So what I didn't realize when I read this, and this is why it's helpful to go to commentaries, is all of these uh, descriptors appear elsewhere in the Old Testament, and particularly in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel nine and chapters in chapter one, these uh, these specific descriptors come back again. Well, come back come uh, for the first time. Ezekiel was written prior to Daniel. Can you see this over here, Nancy? Okay, so Ezekiel, one of the the major prophets, came early, and then Daniel uh, drew some some. Uh, material from Ezekiel, and as we've we've hinted at Revelation many times throughout this class, uh, some stuff comes right from Ezekiel to Revelation, and some some material comes through Daniel to Revelation. So as we're studying this, realize we're not just studying one book; we're really kind of studying many different books. There's all these connections through the rest of Scripture. So linen, topaz, barrel, lightning, fiery torches, burnished bronze appear in Ezekiel and. A, Come, up, come back here again in chapter 10. And we'll get to the rest of that uh, other stuff up there in a minute here. Now, continuing on to um, verse 7, let me just read here for a moment. It says, I, Daniel, alone saw this vision. The people who were with me did not see the vision, though a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled and hid themselves. They didn't see anything, but they were scared. I'm not quite sure why that is. Verse 8. So I was left alone to see this great vision. My strength left me and my complexion grew deathly pale and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words and when I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a trance, face to the ground. Right? So right with uh, Pam's, uh, Pam was talking about when Gabriel came to Mary, this is... So this is setting up the scene for the fancy word is an angelophany, right? But the appearance of an angel. Something's going on and, uh, or some angelic divine being. Daniel's, Daniel's scared. His friends run away. He's the only one who hears it. And 
then his strength leaves him and, and he's on the ground, right? But then, but then a hand touched me. And this touch actually appears three times. I, I, the first time I read this chapter, I did not pick up on this. This is something after a few times. Uh, the, the phrase, and then he touched me, or a hand touched me, appears three times throughout this. See, the idea is that perhaps there is, there is, I don't know that it's a healing power, but maybe it's a strengthening power. Uh, something's going on well beyond um, what's, what's being explicitly stated. And then, Daniel, greatly beloved, pay attention to the words I'm going to speak to you. Stand to your feet. So, um, I want to jump to um, verse 12 here. This is what the angel actually says. And uh, I want someone else, could, you, could someone else read 12 through 14 for, for us? Forget the mic. Okay. Uh, Never needed it. He said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me 21 days So Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia and have come to help you understand what is to happen to your people at the end of days, for there is a further vision for those days. Okay, thank you. So we're still, as I said at the, the top of uh, our time together, this is still the introduction, right? We're not exactly sure all that's, that's coming up, but this is set up as important, right? So we're having all these intertextual connections, Ezekiel, we anticipate stuff that we find later in Revelation. Um, but then this angel says some strange words. Uh, I, I want you to, again, let's go to tables and try to dissect this, figure it out. What, who, who is this prince of Persia? And I know some of you out there have study Bibles. No cheating. Um, try to figure it out on your own first, right? Uh, what do you understand by the words there? And then we can talk about it together. So just take two minutes reading through those verses again, trying to figure out what in the world the angel just actually said. Come back together and talk. What is it exactly that we understand that this angelic being just said to Daniel? Any takers? The judge back here claimed to have it all figured out. He said, because you humbled yourself, that's why we listened to your prayer. Mm -hmm. Or I. Okay. Anyone else want to add something? Obviously, no, no, no. There's just more too. There's just more. Yeah, no. No, it's just, you're spot on. You're spot on. There you go. So far, so good. Yeah, that's right. 
anybody want to add anything to that? Oh. Period, end of quotation. Okay. <laughs> Todd of Joseph. Okay. Well, what do we make sense? How do we make sense of this? Um, since I'll give you a pass because we all lost an hour of sleep to this last night, right? Um, so, from the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, right? We just heard that. Uh, Daniel's humble or has humbled himself. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Okay, because you, you prayed, and I've come because of your prayer, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia? What? Who is that? The prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me. Well, po is this a, just a, a warrior, or is this an angel? What is this prince of Persia business? Anyone have had an idea? Who hasn't anyone who hasn't cheated and looked at the study study Bible notes? Is it a demonic force? Okay, so this is great. Yeah, so uh, a lot of commentators would say that perhaps this is some demonic force, uh, force of darkness uh, or evil. Uh, we can't exactly be sure, and this is one of the troubles with reading Daniel, uh, is that. There's not a God, right? Daniel didn't come with a, a spark notes and this is how you read it. We just don't know for some of this. So we have to take some, uh, we have to read the rest of Scripture, understand uh, everything going on and say, this is our best guess. Now, some people come out and say it's a, it's a, a demonic force. Um, now, some would say instead that this is... Uh, Going back to the ancient Near East, right, where this story is all taking place, um, we, but I'll, I'll move us through here, right? We start off in polytheism, which means worshiping many gods, right? Now, this is a word most people probably don't know, meaning worshiping one god, but this is belief in one god, right? So, monolatry is worship one. This and that means that there can be other gods out there, but we only worship one. Monotheism means there's only one, and that's the one we worship. And then this is where we are, right? Tri uh, Trinitarianism, right? We believe there is one God known to us in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But we're in the, we're in the Old Testament still, so we're not quite there. So um, in, in monolatry... Um, we believe the, they believed, and this is the, the, the Jewish nation, right? As they as they emerged out of polytheism, they didn't immediately say everyone else is wrong. We're the only ones who are right. There's only one God. It was a process, right? And on the way there, uh, the the Jews and the, the Jews believed that perhaps um, we are. Uh, we are this Jewish nation. We worship Yahweh. Okay, you're a different nation. You worship a different God. But our God has chosen us as a people, and so we alone worship Yahweh. If you want to become Jewish or you, want to, you are in our land, you worship Yahweh. You are outside of the boundaries of our land. Maybe you have a different God. So as that... I'm not even quite sure what that, I don't think there's a quick word for it, but um, each country, I'll say each region has, has a deity. Um, 
D I E D E I D E. Or some divine being. And at some point, it becomes understood that they're perhaps instead of gods, on the way towards this monotheistic view, there is this sense that maybe it's not that there's a god for every country, maybe it's that there's an angelic being for every country. So that strange story, I preached on this years and years ago, but this, uh, not here yet, but that strange story of Daniel, not Daniel, Joseph, and the, uh, the dream of the ladder going up and down. Some Jewish commentators suggested um, perhaps that's the gateway, right? That's where uh, angels from one region, you can't go to that region, right? You're not an angel over that region, so if you want to um, go over there, you have to go the heavenly route, right? You have to go up the ladder. And perhaps that's why there are angels going up and down. Not quite sure. Anyways, back to the topic. So um, this prince of Persia could be, depending on when this is written and when this was understood, it could be there is some godlike being. Probably not. It's more likely that it's some kind of an angel. Could that be a fallen angel? Um, Daniel doesn't use that kind of language. We could, but uh, I, uh, but sticking just with the text says Prince of Persia. Now, um, getting back here into verse thirteen, the Prince of the Kingdom of Persia opposed me for. Oh, we have a we have some questions or some comments. Whoop. In. Later in verse 13, it says, so Michael, one of my chief princes, and so I was wondering, yeah. it seemed to me like it was in direct um, contrast, the prince of Persia to my chief prince, Michael. Yeah. And so right. I imagine that the prin- that Michael was archangel Mar- Michael, mm-hmm. right? So then, like, I don't know, is that a fair assumption that that's in contrast, or do you think they're two Yeah, no, 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 no. I think that, yeah, I think that there is certainly parallelism. The prince... Um, where were you here? Um, verse 13, the second yeah. half. So Michael, one of the chief princes, came yeah. to help. Yeah, so Michael is described as a prince and the prince of Persia. Uh, yeah, so what's, what's so hard is we can... How do I say this? Um, we can... We, I, I certainly like, would like to think that it's Michael the archangel as we know. We don't quite know that because it's not spelled out. It's not made explicit. And in apocalyptic language, in apocalyptic literature, you can't really trust anything, okay. right? You kind of you have to question it all and say, it seems like this is it, but it may not really be the case. I think, I, I think if I had if I had to place bets, I would say you're right. Um, but is this the Michael that we know from elsewhere in the Bible? Is the archangel? Yes, perhaps. Why can't the prince of Persia be the devil? Well, it, it, it certainly could, but, but in that interpretation, what you're doing is taking a modern New Testament understanding of the devil and reading it back into Daniel. Is, is it the devil as we understand him today? Perhaps. But we have, what I'm trying to do is say, what is the text leading us to believe and to understand it? I don't know that the text is leading us there. John? Yeah. 
and that is that uh, he says in there, uh, as, as soon as you humbled yourself is when immediately I heard your words. In other words, I think for us, and that, that's extremely important here, how the message came to him so much is the fact that he first humbled himself before God and wished to have an understanding. I think that goes through the ages in terms of this message. Yes. So certainly, yes, certainly uh, it's important to, to take those elements of prayer here and God responding to prayer. Uh, those are serious matters here, right? And that's the life of faith. One other thing, and it was so meaningful, because last week we were talking about the intercessory prayer, and I was taken back in chapter 9 by... Uh, Daniel's approach to God in terms of it wasn't what I would consider to be as reverent as one might be. And I said, I'd be worried about being struck down by lightning. <laughs> and Debbie quickly put me down, not really put me down, but said Daniel had that kind of relationship oh, with yeah. God that he could talk to him that way. Right. And uh, that's what I would aspire to, where I can take complaints or whatever. I feel that comfortable in my prayer and my communication. I thought that was extremely meaningful because I was taken back by how Daniel was communicating uh, in some of the passages. I still think that this Prince of Persia has to be uh, an evil force yeah. like the devil. Right. Because he held, he said it withstood me for... 21, 21 days. days, right. So back in my Baptist days, if we were to have studied this passage, what would we have taken away from it? Is that the same that we should be taking away from it now? I don't know. But if in, in my Baptist days, uh, they would have read this passage and said, well, that means that when you pray, God is trying to provide your answer, but you're, you just need to keep praying. Keep praying, keep praying longer and harder, and eventually God will answer your prayer. But and they would say in the Baptist circles especially, spiritual warfare. There's spiritual warfare going on, and there's some, God has already dis dispatched a messenger, and this is leaning right on this passage, right? Because um, I don't think there's many other passages quite as explicit as this, that God has sent, sent your answer to prayer, but there is a delay. There's some force pushing against that, that answer. Um, I struggle with that kind of a, an interpretation today. Not because I don't think that there's spiritual warfare. I think that there is certainly evil in the world. And, and that, but, but God is greater than, than evil and light overcomes the darkness. I believe those things. And there's still, there's still challenge there. But once again, this is not in narrative. Remember we, a few weeks ago we talked about the differences in genres. And if in a thousand years somebody picks up a Harry Potter book and says, oh, where was Hogwarts? I'd like to visit that. And wow, I, I'd love to find these books. And wow, P Professor McGonagall, she must have been a really cool person. Well, no, this is a novel. This is for, you know, for children, young adults. This is not real. Now, it, that's, a, that's a confusion of genre, right? And the same thing if we read a poem or a parable and say, this happened. Well, how did a poem happen? How did a parable happen historically? Did it have to? 
Did it not? I don't know. But Daniel, this second half of Daniel is written in apocalyptic, is apocalyptic genre. I don't think we can trust, we can interpret it as we interpret the Gospels, for example, right? Jesus did this, Jesus said this, Jesus prayed this way, God answered, and this person was healed. That we can take for sure. That happened. Our faith depends upon the Gospels. This is a little more difficult to, to say this is always how it happens. And I struggle with this on a personal level, but also on a pastoral level, right? Because sometimes people pray for not just 21 days, but 21 years, and that prayer is never answered. So how do we, how do we answer that? On the other side, do we say, oh, well, you know, God's angels, God's messengers have yet to overcome that prince of Persia or prince of, you know, fill in the blank here. The powers of darkness are still winning? That's, that doesn't seem right. And, and that doesn't seem to be matching with the rest of the gospel that we proclaim, right? Um, now, certainly there are things that will happen in our lives that um, will not be redeemed and, and fixed or healed or made whole on this side of glory. But I, I don't want us to walk away thinking we have to pray longer, we have to pray harder, because the answer that we want is coming and that spiritual warfare in the heavens is taking place right now for us. I think that would be unfortunate if we took that for all of our circumstances and all of our prayers um, because God doesn't answer all of our prayers. All of our, right? If I prayed for a Mercedes today and, oh, tomorrow I still don't have a Mercedes. It must be the Prince of Persia again, right? And, and there are people who would believe that sort of thing. So I want us to, I want to temper this, this, these passages uh, and interpret them well. Yeah. Here, I'll bring a mic over to you. How's that? Well, I want it for the, the podcast uh, here. You just said that God doesn't always answer our prayers. Yeah. I think that's worthy of exploration. Okay. Uh, he may not give you the answer you're expecting. That's like for 21 oh, years, somebody right. saying, I'm praying for this. It never happened. Well, maybe because their mind was, this is what I want. This is what I need. Uh, this is the answer I'm expecting. Meanwhile, because you've closed your mind, you lose the broader picture, and there's been an answer oh, there sure. the entire time. Uh I was under the impression that if you go to God in prayer, it will be answered. You may not appreciate what that answer is, but all prayers are answered. Maybe I've been naive on that, but that's, that's kind of been my faith, if you will. And perhaps what I meant to say, God doesn't answer prayers, I, I'm, rather than saying God doesn't answer prayers, maybe God doesn't always give you what you ask for. Well, is no is a more specific way to say it. And sometimes he says no, or, uh, and, and throughout the Psalms, it's, you know, God, where are you? It seems like you're sleeping. Why, why are you answering my prayer? So this is, not, this is not contrary to Scripture. This is right in line with it. And okay. I, I just wanted to affirm that some people feel unheard. I can 
Uh, and even in prayer, yeah, some, sometimes we pray and God does give us an answer, but it's not the one we want, and we don't recognize it as an answer. So that's totally, did you have more to say on that? <laughs> did, uh, so, um, yeah, I apologize for my oversimplification, or my, my language there, it was imprecise. And here's the uh, speechless on the riverbank. I should have put that up earlier. Okay. We've got about 10 minutes, and we, we just, we've only gotten through half this chapter. Now, in the, the coming chapters, we actually have this whole vision. Um, and uh, I, we don't have time, of course, to go into it all. Debbie will get there in the coming weeks, so I'm excited for that. Uh, I want to s- step back. We have two. Do we have two more things I want to do before before the hour our time together is up? We've got to talk about our practice of mourning, lamenting. But before we get there, I want to just highlight uh, some things about the composition. Coming back to this, so um, a few weeks ago, last time I had I taught the class, I talked about um, how Daniel is. A, considered by many a rolling text, meaning um, that perhaps it started as a few stories and maybe then a few more got added on and maybe that's the first half of the book and then the latter half of the book came about and uh, some of you bristled under that, that suggestion even. You mean it wasn't just written chapters 1 through 12 all at the same time? And, um, and we talked a lot about how um, this is not uncommon right? Texts in the ancient world were not printed in binding with a copyright and one copy stuck in the Library of Congress, right? So everyone knew exactly what it said at the beginning. That just didn't happen. Um, Texts in the ancient world, uh, and plagiarism was also uh, not a thing yet. Nobody, nobody thought of that, right? I just, well, it's, it's not uh, disloyal. It's actually quite loyal to someone in the ancient world to say, wow, you've said this really good stuff, I'm just going to take it. That means you're really smart, and I'm, I'm following you. Um, giving credit, maybe that didn't happen all the time. But um, So in Daniel and the compositional history of Daniel, we have to realize that this is in a different era, pre-copyright, pre-printing press, where things are being added, things are, are maybe being switched around. We can see that in our Gospels. Look at, look at the Gospel of Mark. Look at the last chapters. We have a shorter ending and a longer ending. Why is that? Because people added on, people took, right? Um, so because they thought maybe the, there's more to be told. There's more to be told. So coming back to Daniel, I want to just highlight and lift up a few things relating to the compositional history and the compositional technique. One is relating to first person and third person. And this is something I do not real I do not recognize when I read something for the first time. Uh, so I'm highlighting it for all of you because I trust that we're all about on the same page when we read. And wow, I didn't realize that. So, and and this goes to show that maybe there are different authors here. Maybe there's something else going on. Somebody came along later and and gave a little introduction to the story or a little conclusion, maybe. So there is. Uh, in chapters 8 and 9, which you've studied in the previous weeks, uh, there's a lot of focus on first person. Daniel says, I did this, I did this, I heard, I said, I saw. In chapters 7 and 10, there's this usage of third person, right? 
very first verse, in the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a word was revealed to me? No, revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. He understood the word. And then in verse 2, it, it switches. At that time, I, Daniel. So there's not just one voice here. There's something else going on. And I don't want to say more about that uh, particularly, but I do want to, um, uh, we'll skip that. Um, as it comes to rolling texts, um, we talked about uh, a few weeks ago how Daniel was one of the latest books written for the Old Testament. And we know that because it's all over. The, Jew, the, the Jewish rabbis, they understand Daniel not as a prophet, like the Christian tradition, but as a writing. They're not quite sure what to do with it. We're, we think it's a prophet, but there's also this apocalyptic literature. Uh, in some Bibles, you will find more to Daniel, right? So if you have, I don't think the, book, the Bibles out there have it, but uh, my Bible has the Apocrypha. And so our Orthodox and our Catholic brothers and sisters and other churches around the world use the Apocrypha. And if you opened up to the book of Daniel, you would find more to it. Particularly in chapter 3, you would find the prayer of Azariah and the song of the three. It kind of skips. You kind of are wanting more, right? As, as Catherine mentioned earlier, you've got these guys in the furnace and then they're out. Well, what happened in the furnace? And that's what other people came along and said, this is what happened in the furnace. Maybe they, maybe they heard it firsthand. Maybe it was an oral tradition passed down over over decades or centuries, but they said this needs to have more to it. They're beautiful, beautiful prayers uh, and a beautiful song as well. Um, and then your, your book of Daniel ends at what chapter? 12. Well, uh, in the Apocrypha, chapter 13 and chapter 14 also appear. 13, apart from Daniel, is called Susanna. Great story uh, about a, a woman of the Bible, and Bell and the Dragon, the coolest title of any book of the Bible, Apocrypha or not, Bell and the Dragon is chapter 14. And these are really short, and they're actually fun stories uh, involving Daniel at the same time as Daniel. Um, and I highlight these, I highlight the existence of these not to question the inspiration of Scripture, not to uh, question the... Uh, authority of scripture, but to say that there's more going on. There's always more to be learned. There's always more that we need to think about and ponder. And is God's word still God's word? If, well, this, there's a little tradition over here that has something more. And which one is right? I don't know. Um, we as Protestants say, this is it. All the Catholic, our Catholic brothers and sisters say, no, this is it. Who's right? God, right? Um, so um, I want to move. Are there any questions on that? Yeah. <laughs> Rolling texts. Yeah. I'm a scientist. And that, I yeah. just don't go for that stuff. <laughs> Is that it? Oh. That's it. Okay. Anyone else want to say something more about rolling texts or compositional history and techniques? Pluperfect. Pluperfect. Well, you heard it now. <laughs> but pluperfect 
could very well be the we, which is in early English was considered to be beyond perfect, that which is beyond hmm. perfection. So hmm. when the use of the word we is used, it could be a pluperfect example that it is beyond even our potential to understand who sure. is involved when we say we. Right, right. <laughs> now that's, that's linguistics and grammar talk there. So, yeah, there's something more going on. And I particularly wanted to highlight this to show that we have a lot of assumptions when we read the Bible. We think that Matthew wrote Matthew, Mark, Mark, Luke, Luke, John, John, and Daniel wrote Daniel, right? Mm. If Daniel's talking about himself in the third person, if somebody today were talking about themselves in the third person, you'd say, that guy's kind of wacky, right? So if Daniel's talking about himself in the third person, either he's a little strange or maybe someone else is talking about him. A little what? Uh-oh. I don't know. So, um, and... Do we take all these other texts that were pieced and put into the uh, book of Daniel as, as forgeries, as frauds, as, as other than inspired authentic uh, uh, scripture? I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> I'm trying to say question everything, right? There is more to be questioned. There's more to wonder about. Um, and I shouldn't, but I'm going to say it anyways. In, uh, in John chapter 8, as an example, that beautiful story of Jesus writing in the sand with a woman caught in adultery, the earliest of Greek manuscripts on the Gospels don't have that there. They have it elsewhere. It floats. What does that mean? Does that mean that somebody got the pages out of order? Well, it wasn't pages, it probably scrolls. Or does it mean that it was an addition? Most scholars say that was an addition to the original gospel text. Why is that? I don't know. And the mystery makes us uncomfortable, right? We're post-enlightenment Western Christians who like to have everything figured out all the time. And, and as uh, Ray, I wanted to call you Dan for a second. Sorry about that. Uh, Ray, Ray just pointed out, we don't like mystery, Mystery, that's for the Catholics, right? Ring those bells and do some, do some incense. We, you keep the mystery. We don't like the mystery as much. But great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Catherine. So we keep talking about how Daniel is an apocalyptic text, right? And so uh-huh. how much of it is prophetic and how much of it is written during that time? Because, like, the, the <laughs> verb tenses are different, right? Uh, and so I'm just reading yes. this. And so how much... Er- the the prince interaction whatever they are that sounds like that's happening right there during the time of Daniel mm-hmm. and so later it talks about the time of the end and those kinds of things which sounds much more prophetic but is all of this supposed to be like this is still happening today or this is happening in the future like I, I guess I'm right. confused so chapters 8 through um, no chapters 7 through 12 are are that ap- that apocalyptic half of the book and so tenses aren't n- aren't necessarily to be trusted in apocalyptic literature because apocalyptic, one of the key features of the genre is that there is uh, prophecy after the fact. Something has already happened, but we're writing about it as if it has yet to happen. So tenses are shifted, tenses are changed because 
um, apocalyptic literature is supposed to reveal something to a people in distress. And if I'm, I'm writing under censorship, I'm not going to say, well, you know that thing that happened? I'm going to pretend as if I, I didn't write this. Some guy wrote it 400 years ago, and he said this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So and we can, that's, a, that's a topic for another. Yeah, that's, that would take its whole class. I, w- I guess I wanted to come back to, as we c- looking at the text, yeah. that um, I think that there's, there's multiple ways to approach Scripture. And, and one yeah. is in terms of study. Absolutely. And, and a lot of what we've been talking about in terms of how is it structured and who came through and all of that kind of stuff is, is a study approach oh, yeah. to Scripture, which is different than a faith approach to Scripture than when we are asking the Holy Spirit to bring to life what it is that is the truth that needs to reside within us. And, and I think that changes the focus yeah. from do these tenses line up is not necessarily a sure. question of faith. And I think that comes into that mystery place sure. of being able to say, I can come to this text in more than one way. And I, I absolutely agree with that, but I wouldn't... They don't have to be mutually exclusive. That, okay, that's where, we, that's where um, I need to go. Yeah. But, but I think our tendency is to say, well, it's one or the other. Right. Instead of saying what I bring to how I approach this may be informed more by one perspective or another. And you can read through scripture a hundred times and never think about compositional history and techniques right. and... Uh, the fact that Daniel's leaning on Ezekiel and then Revelation's leaning on both of them, you can do that. Um, but I, I lift these things up, and for me, uh, for who I am, these things are really key and important because they, they, they show me the underside of the, uh, the tapestry, right? That backside of the tapestry that's not so pretty. It's like, what's going on? Oh, that, it's, but it's kind of pretty too. And it shows how things were woven together. Um, and, yeah, you could stand back and look at the tapestry and just enjoy it. That's, that's great, too. And that will be holy enough for a life of faith. And I, but for me, I need to look on the other side of the tapestry. How was this made? What's going on behind the scenes? We're over time, but, I, but with your permission, may I have two minutes? I'm not seeing any no's, so I'll just go on. Um, remember in chapter 9, Daniel was praying for the city of Jerusalem. Beginning of chapter 10, it says, At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks, 21 days, until the, prince, or until, uh, the, the being arrived and, and spoke to him. Um, this coming week, I want you to just ponder the, the practice of mourning. Another word for mourning is lamenting, right? A third of the psalms are lament psalms, right? Saying, this is not right. When, God, will you step in? When will you fix this? Right to, uh, to John, uh, Judge, Judge Haas's question here earlier uh, about how do we talk to God and can we bring these things before God? Well, I hope we can in a life of faith um, bring everything to God. Not just, don't just put on your happy face and say, God, all is right with me, but it would be nice if these three things could be fixed too or these three things could be a little better. But, in the depths of despair, bring yourself to God. Mourn, lament, lift up those cries to God and those tears to say, God, why, why does it feel like I'm praying and you're not answering? 
I'm here. I need this. I need you to be with me. And I need X, Y, and Z, but it's not happening. God, why? And why is a big part of lament. It's a big part of mourning. And there's a lot of people in our church and in our community, right, that are asking why for personal family issues, for community issues, this gun violence, the, the terrible suicides over in Perry. We're left asking why. Mourning has to be a part of our Christian vocabulary or else we are not giving a proclamation to the world that is worthy of being heard. Because too often we say, you have to be happy. You have to look right. You have to look like this to follow Jesus and to be a good Christian. I think it is much more important to be able to mourn, lament, and take the burdens of your life and the burdens of the church and the community to God in prayer, mourn and lament and say, why God? That, that kind of faith is what gives a strong proclamation to the world that this is the God who, to whom we can take us, all of us, every part of us, lay it at God's feet, lay it at the foot of the cross and say, I don't know what to do. Please come redeem this situation. I invite you to read that paragraph as you go forth. But before we do, let us pray. Almighty God, for the gift of your word, for the gift of your Holy Spirit here with us today, binding us together, we are abundantly thankful. We pray, Almighty God, that you would uh, give us strength to mourn and to lament but not just to ourselves or to one another, but to take all of our burdens and to lay them at your feet. We pray, God, that we may have the strength of faith to cry out, why? Where are you? Help us, God, to be patient like Daniel. Help us to wait for your response and help us to know that even if our prayers uh, or what we are asking for is not received, sometimes you still answer the prayers that we pray in your own way. Give us eyes to see your kingdom around us at all times. We give this day and all that we do and all that we say, we give it over to you, Almighty Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.